I literally, <laughs> I literally just forgot what I said. <laughs> why, why are we here again? I can't remember. Fuck me. Ah, <laughs> uh, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to uh, the new episode of Pronouns in Bio, where we're going to talk to you about video games. Yeah. Uh, y yeah. You can't, you can't hear it, but I'm saying it, so it's spelled G A Y. M-E-S. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Video gay. <laughs> gay. <laughs> gay. That's off to a really good intellectual start. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. Start as we mean to go on. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm Cleo Madeline, she slash her. I'm Rebrigno, they slash them. And this is Pronouns in Bio. We're going to start off by talking about our first introduction to video games. And whether or not, in retrospect, we can detect any gay shit in there. Uh, I don't know if that's something you can speak to, Ree. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I've been playing video games for a long time. So when uh, when my mum first met my stepdad and my, my stepdad moved in, he seemed really old to me at the time, but looking back, he was 28, which is like quite terrifying now. Mm -hmm. um, but he brought a big old chunky original PlayStation 1 and I was about seven and that was like my my first introduction to video games um and there was like he had a lot of games that I was never allowed to play obviously being a, a man in his 20s had like the original GTA and Resident Evil and stuff like that um so I was like trying to ra kind of racking my brains thinking about my experiences with those games but I I don't know if it's a a gay experience per se in video games but I remember playing The Sims 2 and hearing people like you know kids on the playground and stuff talking about being able to like put a little hack in and make the the pixelated woo-woo go away so you could actually see what they were doing and I was like very <laughs> curious about that but I was just like not tech savvy enough to figure out how to do it so it was just remained a mystery to me and it, it remains a mystery to me that to this day like what what are they doing under there what is woohoo yeah 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 I mean if it's not apparent to the viewers at home by now neither of us have figured out what woohoo is <laughs> and uh, you know I'm 30 um so if anyone at home can write in and tell us please do yeah yeah can you remove those pixels from our mind for us yeah <laughs> <laughs> funnily enough i had a similar thing with the sims i'd gone over to a, a guy at school's house i think to trade my brother's warhammer tank for his warhammer tank uh mm -hmm. which deal i was then forced to go back on by both parties because my brother quite rightly pointed out that i traded away his tank without asking him and mm -hmm. the guy from school pointed out that I'd traded him a shitty broken tank for his very nice one. <laughs> so <laughs> the first part of this being a queer experience is that I was just a conniving, sneaky little cheat right from the start. <laughs> but while we were there, he showed me The Sims. Okay. And he was like, oh, look, you can put grass instead of carpet. And I was like, wow, that's fucked up. And then he was like, oh, and you can make two men get in the same bed. And I was like, yeah, that's that's fucked up, too. That's 
That's totally weird. I don't like. Oh, yeah. take me back to the grass, buddy. I, I don't want to see that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put that shit away. I'd, I'd be really mad if it happened, you know, a few more times. Like, <laughs> Maybe just show me one more time just to make sure that I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, we we... We got The Sims shortly thereafter, and I was obsessed with making couples in all of these permutations to the point that I that it, it led to its logical conclusion. And I guess by this point I was in my teens, and because I came out quite early, I was a bit uh, more comfortable about the idea of bisexuality. But still, like, way ahead of the appropriate point in my life, just created this poly disaster who was a single sim who lived in a house with an outdoor toilet and fucked his way through the entire neighbourhood until he had no friends. That's really good. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> if that's not queer content, I don't know what is. Who among us? Who among us? <laughs> just 15 years old creating a guy sitting alone on his outdoor toilet thinking about his mistakes and not knowing how much like him my own life will become <laughs> yeah that's a, some future vision we've had a lot of responses from our audience for this episode which has been really really exciting and we'll get to that in more detail later but one of the things that's really come up is the importance of rpgs uh, in mm. video gaming to baby queers and like particularly I think or certainly in a slightly different more concentrated way to those of us who are the slightly older millennials or Gen Xers who've responded to us where queerness as a, a sort of video game narrative wasn't a done thing. Not that romance is the sole topos of queerness but e even the idea of romance narratives in video games was pretty limited let alone the idea of sexual identity and gender identity and so on and so forth being something you could explore. But I remember we had this game, Might and Magic, and then a number. It was one of those games that by 1992 already had a million versions. I, I vaguely remember it. Yeah, I feel like everyone played at least one version of it at some time. It, it was the kind of video game that like your uncle had or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, by which I mean the best kind of video game. And the best kind of uncle. And the best kind of uncle. Gaming uncles, we see you. You're valid. <laughs> yeah. We respect you. We respect your culture. It was my uncle who got me into, like, not just video games, but Dungeons and Dragons and all of that shit. And I can only imagine my parents must have just begrudged him, just like really hated him for that as they saw me evolve into like this increasingly obnoxious little gay nerd <laughs> from this like, the, you know, what was presumably a child with a bright future, perhaps in, perhaps in, in some kind of sporting career. You know, I was always tall. I could have been fast. And then eight years old, he just came in being like, you like fucking games, do you? Why don't you pretend to be a dwarf for the rest of your adult life? And... <laughs> But the thing is, I used that pretending to be gay. This Might and Magic game, the customization options were limited, but you could pick little pixel arts for your players, which I guess would also determine the gender, although again, that wasn't an option you could pick. And I would choose the same four women. And in my head, I'm maybe like seven or eight at this point, and in my head, they are just like girlfriends in like a very chaste, childish sense. 
Mm-hmm. But like they just all like live together. And... That's so sweet. Yeah, <laughs> that's so like, adorable. I knew I didn't have any kind of queer vocabulary, but just instinctively was like, these adventurers are a lesbian commune. <laughs> that's really actually just like so wholesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So video games—they're not all terrible. <laughs> so as you mentioned about representation in games, mm. I guess Bioware might be a good sort of jumping off point to talk about representation in games because they were kind of were they like one of the first kind of big AAA companies to attempt to address it they're certainly one of the people who've come up most often in the audience responses that we've had which is kind of an interesting bridge from what we've just been saying about our early experiences because what you and I have said is experiences of video games where there's not a canonically queer narrative. The Sims, mm. interestingly, is canonically gay in the the original game designer wanted them all to have the possibility of being bisexual. Mm. But it's still a case of a game that we participated in with an expectation of heteronormativity and then created queer content in, whereas a lot of the respondents that we had online who were maybe younger in the next generation coming up their first experiences were things like Bioware games, where rather than manufacturing the narrative yourself, there are these canonical queer inserts. Um, mm-hmm. Give us an example. <laughs> oh, God. I guess Mass Effect would be uh, like one that comes to mind, although I certainly came to the Mass Effect games way, way, way after they were newfangled. And yeah, like the plot points in that, you can either be male Shep or female Shep and then romance any of the friends or crew members, no matter what gender they mm, are too. Mm, mm. I think there's there might also be something to be said, and you kind of touched upon it a little bit before, about how queerness in video games, ostensibly like queer positive, I put quotation marks around that, <laughs> for games like Mass Effect, hinges on it being like a sexual or romantic relationship. Mm, mm. It's interesting the way that what we talk about when we talk about representation in video games as if it's something monolithic is actually Mm. a more nuanced thing. So for instance, in Mass Effect, we've had people talk to us on Twitter about conversations or, or debates in the fan community about things like how you... Fuck, I'm gonna get this wrong now. In Mass Effect 1, basically, Some of the characters are preset bisexual or pansexual. Some of them are preset straight. Some of them are preset gay. So for instance, I feel like we should have explained this in the beginning, but we were so blown away by how into video gaming gay people online apparently are that I didn't think to explain (laughs) what Mass Effect is. It's like um, a video game version of Star Trek, but somehow with even more fucking... Oh, I love Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we can, we cannot open. We absolutely cannot. Oh, can we open do an episode on Star Trek? If we talk about <laughs> no, we, I mean, yes, we probably should do an episode on Star Trek. But fuck me, tra- trans people talking about Star That's Trek. That's true. Like, it has been done. <laughs> it's not even that. It, it's not even that it's been done. It's just that like trans people talking about Star Trek is like if you watch some kids show from the nineties and there's like a nerd getting bullied for liking his Pokemon cards. And it's like, we as a demographic are like, that's gonna be me. Yeah, okay. Maybe maybe I'll find a way of shoehorning some Star Trek into one of the segments when you're least expecting it. We'll have to do another episode for it because I've, I've watched a little bit of Star Trek with my partner and I'm this close to being like, yeah, Star Trek fucking sucks. Get a life, nerds. And in my heart, I'm just like, 
actually, the stories of the Bajoran <laughs> uprising were very well handled. Yeah, right? <laughs> no, no, be gone. Be gone, thought. Okay, no, let's let's get back to the point. Mass, Mass Effect is thoughts in space. You play Commander Shepard. Your mission is to bone every piece of thinking life that there is, so long as it corresponds to your sexuality. And this is the root of the debate in the fan base. On the one hand, some people are disappointed that if you have created this Shepard, who, who in your narrative of the game is gay, that then that locks out certain other characters as options for the romance storyline. And I guess that's what we're talking about, envisioning a world in which queer representation is an entire queer mm. universe, as opposed to just there are gay people here, much in the way that you would find gay people in real life. And I suppose the flip side on it and the other perspective that we've heard is the idea that it is somehow rewarding or fulfilling to have, you know, characters who are MLM or WLW or whatever, who are cognates of our own experiences of, of being sexual beings, even though that comes with the limitations of sexual taxonomy. Hmm. I don't really have an answer for that one. No, me neither. I like completely petered out there as if I was going to say something smart, but honestly, I was just <laughs> hoping I would reach the end of my point. <laughs> well, you did. <laughs> Welcome to Pronouns in Bio, the, the comedy podcast for funny people. We don't tell jokes, we don't make points. Okay. So, next on the show, we have our segment Gaze of Future Past. Gaze of Future Past. And today's a special treat. We've flipped it turnways. They'll switch a We've flipped and reversed it. And Re is going to be presenting to me. So, Re, what have you got for me today? Oh, sorry, I should have actually explained what Gaze of Future Past is. Gaze of Future Past is the segment of the show where this time Re will attempt to persuade me that a certain beloved media property is actually queer. Yes, correct. Well, you think that's what I'm going to do, but... <laughs> so... <laughs> okay, so originally, my entry for Gaze of Future Past, it was going to be Crush Bandicoot. But I spent a lot of time thinking about this over the last couple of weeks, and I <laughs> have actually transformed where I think Crush Bandicoot comes down. And I actually think he fits better as ally of the week. But I'm going to talk about him in both contexts and then come to my conclusions at the end. Wow. And see if see if you agree. You've done like a scholarly, like <laughs> you've done your research. I've just been thinking about it in the shower a lot. Just before we start, I have a question that is going to affect my interpretation of this segment. Okay. What is a bandicoot? Oh, don't, 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 don't ask me that. It's, <laughs> it's like a little rodenty looking mammal thing <laughs> it doesn't look how you'd expect it to look like you you expect it to kind of look like a fox based on like the video game character but it, it really doesn't it looks like this little like shrew mole thing a little thing. shrew mole thing yeah yeah <laughs> they don't look like how you think they're gonna look but what an actual bandicoot looks like is is not is not relevant to my argument here so 
Okay, cool. I will banish... <laughs> banish thoughts of little shrew rat people. Okay, the shrew is gone. Think about Crash Bandicoot's, you know, his hard edges, his cool guy aesthetic. Just, like, bring that to your mind. Cool. I'm ready for you to give me another turn of the shrew. <laughs> for God's sake. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Right. So, originally I had had Crush Bandicoot down for Gaze of Future Past because primarily I was influenced by two things. The first thing was that I once saw a tweet many years ago, I think, that said that Crash Bandicoot is just the gay version of Basil Brush. And like <laughs> that just kind of stuck with me. And I thought that was like a great point. But my second point, which is more important, I think, is I was very influenced by the box art for Crash Twin Sanity, released 2004. Are you familiar with Crash Twin Sanity, Cleo? I'm not familiar with Crash Twin Sanity, although if it's like that stuff they do online with the brothers from Supernatural, then I'm not down for it. You say that, it is, because it displays on the box uh, Crash and, and Neo Cortex, who is kind of like Crash's sworn enemy in all of the games engaged in homosexual sex acts like spank and my personal favorite humili skate and you know humili skate humili skate which is where crash rides neo like a skateboard but it's called humili skate and you know who among us has not humili skated at the gay bar every now and then That that is true that is true right so that was like that was where I was coming down on it. But then I realized that I was actually committing crash heresy <laughs> because heretics would say that Crash Twin Sanity is the 11th game in the Crash Bandicoot franchise, but there have only been four games in the franchise, and that's Crash 1, Crash 2, Cortex Strikes Back, Crash 3, Warped, and the latest input, Crash 4, It's About Time. So I had to reconsider my reasoning only based on the four actual Crash games that have ever been released. Which got me thinking about Crash's girlfriend, Torna. Do right. you, are you familiar with Crash's girlfriend, Torna? I'm going to say now, my mm. ignorance about what a bandicoot is should be treated as my level of knowledge for anything Crash Bandicoot Have you adjacent. ever played the Crash Bandicoot games? I have never... Well, once or twice I went over to my friend's house who had them on PlayStation and played them but literally all i remember is like i got the comparison to basil brush but i don't i don't really understand that because basil brush is obviously gay <laughs> like, no, like there are no straight men who dress like that honey <laughs> but yeah he's a little basil brush looking lad in speedos but beyond that i have no idea what is going on okay okay well i'll give you like a description of crush's girlfriend torna in the first crush bandicoot game Torna's kind of like an analogue for Princess Peach in that like Neocortex, the big bad boss, steals her away and takes her to his like evil castle laboratory or whatever. And then when you do the bonus levels as Crash, you kind of like jump along the platform and do the level. Then right at the end, Torna is like waiting there for you to kind of reward you. And she's got like big dolly part and hair, huge tits, tiny little shorts, and also, she's a bandicoot. Nice. Yeah. Right. So I feel like yeah. I've described that fairly I mean, that well. One in the box. Right, right, right. But this is where I'm going to make it relevant to Ally of the Week. Trust me, I'm getting there. Is Crash Bandicoot 4 
which I've been playing and it's really, really fucking hard, but I've been playing it. Torna makes a very notable reappearance in this game. And Torna has clearly made some discoveries about her sexuality by the time we get to Crash 4. She's got like an undercut. She's got blue streaks in her hair. She's got like piercings on her ears. You know, she looks very, very queer this time around. Not saying that, you know, looking like Dolly Parton with big tits does not make you look queer. More that, you know, the transformation from Crash 1 to Crash 4 clearly indicates that Torna's been on a journey of self-discovery to some degree. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and like, you know, we, we, we don't like to make aesthetic stereotypes, but if you go away for a couple of years and then show up again with a blue undercut and extra piercings, right. it's, a re- it's a reasonable influence. Right, 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 right. That's what I thought. And, you know, Crash Crash is, like, supportive of this. Like, he never speaks. He's a silent protagonist. So I might be reading this a little bit more, like, generously than is intended. But there's, like, the odd sort of, like, googly-eyed moment when she turns up in Crash 4. But other than that, like, he's respectful towards her. He gives her her space. She's allowed to kind of go off and have her own levels where you can play as Torna by Mm -hmm. herself. He doesn't like, you know, force her to be part of his narrative. He's supportive of her her self-discovery. And what is that if not a great ally? So Mm, mm, in conclusion, mm. Crash Bandicoot is my ally of the week. Uh, And I hope you agree with me, Cleo. Thank you so much for making that case for us. And thank you for the frankly scholarly (laughs) amount of research and knowledge on the Crash Bandicoot <laughs> franchise that has gone into I've it. played like a lot of the games. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. <laughs> do, I do, do have one question, mm. which is, is Torna still a Bandicoot following this glow Oh up? yeah, no, that she's, she's definitely still a Bandicoot, yeah. Right, okay, cool. Does that change your decision, knowing that? No, not really, honestly. <laughs> you, seem, you seem like very, very caught up on the Bandicoot part here, rather than the rest of it. <laughs> I don't really know how to address that. <laughs> Just Im- <laughs> Just Im- You're speaking from like a bandicoot positive yeah, perspective. Yeah, I absolutely like, am. Imagine, imagine that you're in my shoes and just like the entire gaming world talks about this fucking made up animal. Like it's a normal thing. It's not a made up animal. Just like, it's a real animal. They're just like, oh, there's like a bandicoot with tits. <laughs> and you're just, I'm expected to treat that as if that's, the speech of a sane person. <laughs> okay, we're, we're veering into offending the furries now, and I don't want to do that. That's true. No, oh God, no, no. We have the utmost respect exactly, for your culture. Yeah. Um, my, my beef is not with the furries, it's with the bandicoots, <laughs> and I can't make that clear enough. You want to put tits on a fucking lemur? <laughs> Knock yourself out. I'm chill with that. I've seen that. <laughs> but tits on a bandicoot's a no for you? Uh, I think... I think I've got a lot of feelings in myself regarding the bandicoot issue that I need to examine. Mm. This is definitely this is definitely sounding more like a you problem than a bandicoot problem. I'm gonna go away, look at some pictures of bandicoots with and without tits, <laughs> and like figure out where I am. <laughs> we can always re-record this if I if I have an epiphany. Okay. Well, you can update us in the next episode as to where you've come down on on bandicoots with tits. Yeah, for sure. From inside my first. Listen, there is no way that if you go away and Google Crash Bandicoot Four Torna, you won't have some kind of feelings. I'm gonna do, do it, it now. now. I'm gonna do it now. This is going to be this episode's Mrs. Hardbroom. (laughs) 
Oh, I see what you... Okay, oh, yeah. right. Suddenly it all clicks yeah. into place. If anyone at home is interested, there's quite a lot of people on the internet who apparently are quite interested in drawing what I presume is the previous design of Torna and the current design of Torna as girlfriends. Oh, is that, you know, that like the meme of bimbo girlfriend becoming yeah. like the book girlfriend. I think those yeah. two versions of Torna would fit that meme really well. I'm sure that's been done. I think so. Yeah. yeah. The eighth search uh, suggestion for Torna is pregnant. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> the tenth is weight gain. So uh, I might just close I think you should probably window. close that, yeah. I do know what a bandicoot looks like now. I think my descriptions were like kind of, you know, they were descriptive enough that if you didn't want to Google bandicoot with tits listeners, then please don't feel obliged to. Yeah, absolutely. If at home you're feeling a compulsion in your stomach to Google crash bandicoot pregnant, <laughs> then only don't feel like you have to. OK, yeah. we've uh, we've done the heavy lifting. You can blame it on us. We made you do it. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, accepting the fact that uh, the quite intense sex acts that you described earlier mm. are non-canonical mm-hmm. in, in this Bandicoot's life. I think you've made a really good case, yeah. And actually quite a surprisingly nice one. There's something about finding out that there's a really true spirit of allyship in something that is truly rewarding. Mm. So thank you for bringing that to this to us today. Oh yeah, you're welcome. I'm glad I got to talk at length about Crush Bandicoot. Jury's out on whether I'm glad or not, but the... (laughs) uh, (laughs) It's definitely a thing that happened. So I think that one of the conversations that is had quite a lot uh, amongst the community, as it were, about queerness in video games is, you know, the the very real presence of corporatization and the effect that it has on on our representation in these mediums. Um, and I am a avid Overwatch player. Uh, I'm not ashamed to admit it. Mm-hmm. And if you're familiar at all with, with Overwatch or Overwatch news, I think it was about two years ago, around about then, the, the developers of Overwatch, which is Blizzard, came out and said that one of their like, most prominent uh, heroes that you can play that's kind of on all of the posters and and the uh marketing is gay soldier 76 is is gay and it kind of sparked this quite interesting debate that i don't think was ever really resolved about on the one hand you have this macho looking army guy being uh you know we're explicitly told that this character is gay by the people that made the game and on the other hand it kind of was announced after the fact like the game had been out quite a long time and then suddenly they kind of come out with this announcement and it's quite easy, I think, to sort of leverage some criticisms at the company that I think are quite legitimate about, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, your game sales are down or people aren't talking about your game. Like, let's just make an announcement that one of the characters is gay and then people will be talking about us again. No, absolutely. I wrote an article at the time that that was pretty unconditionally positive in response to the announcement pretty much on those qualities, that is, that it's this flagship, mm. hyper-masculine character. Perhaps I wouldn't be so kind to it now. What's, what's changed for you? Sort of like what you were saying earlier about the streamlining, I suppose, of a lot of queerness in AAA gaming into sexuality uh, or romantic narratives, mm. whether playable or not. 
the idea that queerness in video games has moved from something that you non-canonically locate to something that is canonically provided for you, but which representation is there not because it imagines a queer universe, but because it markets to a queer demographic. Mm. I'm not such an anarchist that I won't say that good can come from representation being marketable. Representation in a neoliberal sort of way is still preferable to there never being any gay people in television or gaming. Because mm. you could say the same of Tracer, who is the flagship character for the game, who is a lesbian. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying this is bad. Um, you, you know, it is fantastic that one of the most played online shooters in the world has openly queer characters. That's great. You wouldn't have had it 10 years ago. Mm. To me, that's good. But the fact that both of these announcements were post-launch mm. suggests to me that it wasn't a decision that was made out of the goodness of their hearts. Yeah. We've talked a bit about how the level of response that we got from the queries we put out online was really indicative of how much gay people have to say about video games. The flip side of that is that we're worth pandering to, I guess, whatever that means. Yeah, I think it might be easy to draw a conclusion from from the criticisms that we make towards these big studios, which is like, oh, well, the alternative is just to not have any queer characters at all if you don't think we can do it properly. And I actually mm. think that, that the answer is more queer people as devs and as writers and in the marketing yeah. team and in the finance team. Like, the more diversity and representation that we can have behind the scenes rather than just like in the product i think that can't be anything other than good there might always be something to be said for the fact that like how good can a triple a title be when it comes to this stuff (laughs) they're so kind of susceptible to market forces and like the big wigs at the top like maybe the future really for queer gaming is with indie developers and that's where it should be. There is a kind of heteronormativity to it, right, where AAA gaming, even with well-done queer characters, fundamentally still doesn't want to comport itself as a gay game, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Like it wants to have something for the gays, but they are entirely predicated on still being straight, cis, whatever... Games. And also, it's important as well to acknowledge that pretty much every AAA studio has absolutely terrible working conditions and is unbelievably mm. exploitative. And so, like, what good is queer representation in your game if you treat your actual queer workers like shit? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Being like, we employed a trans person to help develop this and then they're just like chained up in a salt mine. Exactly, you know, they're working like 85 hours a week and being paid shit for it. Like, we need to make sure that like the labour rights of video game developers and people that work in those kind of teams are more important, I think, than having a gay character in the game that's produced as a result of it. The point we made earlier, just to take us back, about the conversation between... Do we want queerness in video games that is like characters with narratives that reflect our own experiences of sexual identity, of gender identity, etc.? Or do we want it to look like an imaginative world in which, depending on how you look at it, either queerness is the standard or heteronormativity isn't a thing? Mm. Overwatch is a prime candidate for the latter, right? Like Mass Effect is this long story-driven epic. You can see why they might want to 
take these established archetypal stories in which, you know, people are gay, like like people are gay in real life or whatever. I don't know. There's probably a better way of phrasing that, but not for me, buddy. <laughs> Overwatch, surely you could just say, like, fuck it. Everyone is fluid as hell. Like, this is a game where the characters are like, like Mr. Fisto, like a big guy with a giant power. Yeah, yeah. There's, yep. the, there's a time-traveling lesbian. There's, like, a non-binary scientist. There's... A little hamster. Again, I get a big like gorilla. for me, Overwatch is really fucking gay. Uh, exactly. In my head, canon, every character is gay except for Reaper, who is the straightest man ever. But <laughs> but again, that, Reaper like, mains. You're on notice. Oh, Reaper mains. You're fucking dead to me. Like, don't talk to me. I don't. I don't want to hear from any fan that is a Reaper main. Like, stop listening to the podcast. I don't care about you. Um, <laughs> That's probably like the strongest opinion that I've ever expressed on the podcast, but I, I stand by every word of it. If this is what we get cancelled for, then we're dying on this. Hill. Oh, I will die on Reaper this fucking mains. Take a long fucking walk off a short pier. Overwatch is is pretty gay, but that's only because it's only because we claim it to be so, not because anything they've done, especially intentionally. Yeah, yeah. It just seems unrealistic to me that such a colourful band of misfits aren't all like animatedly gaying up all over each other. Mm -hmm. I'm not even saying that they're fucking, although I'm sure most of them are fucking, but the character roster looks like a pride parade. <laughs> it does. <You> know? <laughs> the game's so colourful as well. Like, that's why I love it. Like, there are so many shooters out there that are just drab, like, looking at you, Call of Duty, mainly. But Overwatch is so nice and colourful. All the levels are, like, gorgeous. And, yeah, no, I, I'm a big Overwatch fan. Mm-mm. Except for Reaper Mains. Except for Reaper Mains, yeah, you're dead to me. But I think we should maybe talk about transness in mm. video games. And I think an obvious talking point will be Cyberpunk 2077, even though it hasn't been released yet. But there's still some kind of discourse about transness in that game that I think we could touch on. Let's talk about what caused the conversation in the first place. For me, it started with some transphobic comments made by members of CD Projekt Red on Twitter oh, yeah. that weren't connected to... I remember that. Yeah, I forgot about that. Cyberpunk 2077. So sorry, CD Projekt Red is the developers who previously made The Witcher 3, which was a very lovely game in lots of ways, but had an exclusively white cast. Mm -hmm. And then they, in defence of this, pandered to the the inaccurate, but also like extreme dog whistle excuse of historical accuracy air quotes oh god yeah and so obviously we were primed to go when the trans stuff came out i think the tweet was just one of those fucking attack it was things. yeah it was one of those like i you know the only joke that the right has about a sexually identifying as a helicopter or whatever the fuck it is yeah and it's just so offensive because you know some of my best friends are attack helicopters <laughs> You know, <laughs> like, there's your fucking queer representation of video games. <laughs> Every time you get in a helicopter in Call of Duty, that's gay it's sex. It's gay, dude. yeah, it's gay. That's gay. <laughs> anyway, would you like to... <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So there was like a promo got released by CD Projekt Red for Cyberpunk 2077, like maybe a year and a half ago now. It, God, I mean, what is time? I don't know how long it's been. Um, this game seems to have been in like development hell for a little while um, and one of the stills was a poster um, kind of like in a train station or something with, in the game 
that had a woman, a trans woman on it, but like her genitals were quite clearly and prominently displayed like against the clothes that she was wearing. Yeah. You can say dick print, it's fine. This is a this is a safe space. <laughs> Did you say dick print? Dick print? Yeah, have you not heard that before? <laughs> no, I have not heard that before. Dick print is when you can see someone's whatever you was you said so nicely, genitals. Genitals, in their yeah, it's my work hat on. <laughs> well no no <laughs> Now I look like a fucking horny shit. <laughs> Please. My father's name was Genitals. <laughs> there was a fucking poster of a fucking trans woman and you could see her fucking dick print. And there was some discourse about it, which was, it's like over-sexualization and fetishization of trans women's bodies. But then like on the other hand, cyberpunk in itself as a genre should be trans as fuck because that's like inherent to the genre and so it's right that there is representation like that in this game Mm. where where did your article come down on it and have you have you since disagreed with yourself well my pitch was very early in the announcement of the development of cyberpunk 2077 so it was a few years ago now and it was off the back of the handling of the implicit racism in the witcher 3 and the transphobic tweets from CD Projekt Red, and it was, I suppose, more about my doubts of their ability to handle a medium that, although it is in essence very queer futurist, Mm. is increasingly co-opted by these very conservative ideas of what that future does look like. Mm -hmm. But I guess I am... And by no means broadly in favour of the way that I think that gender identity is going to end up being portrayed in Cyberpunk 2077. You know, I, I always remain hopeful for these sorts of things, but I don't think we're going to be taking our hats off anytime soon. Yeah. But it's a stupid comparison, but I do think it's hold up. It's like you said about that fucking girl bandicoot who has boobs. Like, they put boobs on the bandicoot. Yeah, yeah. And I know that that's probably done as much for humor or or whatever it is as it is for anything else but everybody knows that objectification of ostensibly cis women Mm. in video games is like a massive thing it's like a massive sustained thing you know Mm -hmm. we're we're very much in the post gamergate era not post as in the issues that arose there or came to light there are in any way finished as in like it's a cultural touchstone now Mm -hmm. And so I think the ire is misplaced about what that explicit promotional art represents in that it got called out for being transphobia, Mm. which I guess I can see in the idea that it's trans misogyny or or, or something. Yeah, Yeah. But the thing is, what's offensive about it isn't that it's a trans person being depicted or that the way in which they're being depicted is intended necessarily to mock or to... Uh, denigrate and it's certainly not some turf shit where it says your identity is less valid or not true or something so much as it's depicted in the sexualizing way with which we're so so used to seeing cis women depicted in Mm. these kinds of games yeah it's like a really great example of trans misogyny and like it's the same brand of objectification that like cis women experience in video games and have done Mm. since they were literally invented Mm -hmm. um and like the ire needs to be 
needs to be directed at the presence of that kind of misogyny mm-hmm. more than anything else. You know, cis women misogyny and trans misogyny, it's still misogyny at the core. And that's the bit mm. that is the, the problem. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I can't believe that on this podcast, we've talked ourselves into defending cis women. <laughs> and like, are we TERFs now? <laughs> not a fucking TERF though, Chris. You're not a fucking TERF though, Chris. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm only defending cis women because Torna, Crash Bandicoot's <laughs> girlfriend, is a cis woman. So that's what a bandicoot is? Yes. All cis women are bandicoots, but not all bandicoots are cis women. Adult human bandicoot. <laughs> Adult human bandicoot. Yes. Okay, cool. Well, you could have said that at the start. I, I understand now. <laughs> yeah, no. I can very clearly visualise a little rodent now. Okay, cool. With tits. With tits. <laughs> <laughs> I'm torn between wanting to clown on the cis and wanting to accept that little rodent with tits describes both me and every trans woman I know. <laughs> Fuck. Bandicooted myself. <laughs> you have. You really have. So we've talked about an example of the problematics of it. And, and you know, I don't think we need to go into details on the presence of transphobia in gaming culture. Because, like, it's there, obviously. Yeah. You, you know, whatever. Are there any examples of of trans representation or that sphere of queerness in video games that have struck you as good? I think um, I really enjoyed Gone Home. Mm. Um, which, if I'm remembering rightly, it was a long time ago that I played it. Uh, has a queer protagonist and it's like a very good story. Mm, mm. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of like the walking sim brand of game. There are games that give you options for things like um Athab or amab uh things like dream daddy or that imagine worlds where the gendered constraints that video games like to impose upon you in a sort of replication of the cis normativity of the real world of, of meat space don't exist so for instance i've been playing the outer wilds lately where you, you play a member of an alien species who are all they thems yeah they're all genderless yeah, exactly, exactly, which it's not necessarily a, a representative imagining of queerness, but it is a creatively imagined world that solves the gendered problems that perhaps we come to video games to escape, you know? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. The Outer Worlds is an interesting one because I absolutely love the village that you start in. I love the fact that, like, the, the characters are all genderless and, like, it's what I was saying at the start, that, like, I am always looking for video games particularly indie games where mm-hmm. queerness whatever that may look like is just the mm-hmm. normal the universe or the default and mm-hmm. heteronormativity just doesn't exist but also that game is so <laughs> fucking terrifying that i just can't play it <laughs> like i've played a lot of horror games cleo and i play horror games together we've always got one on the go and no game has scared me quite as much as the outer wilds and i don't think it it's intended to be thought of as a horror game, mm. but fuck me if it isn't fucking yeah, terrifying. You know, the idea of an entire species of people who don't have gender, it just... <laughs> just imagine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've had a dark <laughs> vision of the future. <laughs> what would you do? It's certainly the sort of thing that you'd like to see more of. Um, even if it is just take it, just stopping... Just more imaginative worlds in video games where picking a gender isn't the first stage of 
the game, yeah. one of the overwhelming bits of feedback we've had from non-binary respondents is that if you are AFAB non-binary, then you get lumped in with the girl gamers. If you're AMAB non-binary, you don't get you don't get shit. Like, sorry guys. And if you're trans in either direction, then all the characters who represent you show up and are like, my name is blah, 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 but I used to be called blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> yeah. it's so clearly a sort of shallow attempt to try and do queerness mm -hmm. with no real sense of what it will feel like to play the game as a queer person. Yeah, or where the trans character is only included so that they can talk about their trauma. Exactly, uh, yeah. And make the protagonist feel like a good ally. Yeah, exactly. On which, did you want to move on and talk a bit about The Last of Us? Because I know you had some thoughts about that. Yeah, so I haven't actually played it. It's not because I don't like the games or I don't want to play them as such. I've played the first one and I really liked it. I'm kind of side-eyeing it a little bit. Mm, um, mm, mm. And I don't know how fair that is because, again, like I haven't played it. So please don't come at me if you massively disagree with my opinion. But... I read a really great article by a critic called Film Crit Hulk, who is bisexual and uh, wrote like an, a long form kind of think piece about his thoughts on Last of Us 2. And two points that he made kind of stuck by me and made me think, actually, I don't think I want to play this game. And the first was that you play as Ellie, who is a young queer woman in a violent world. And the developers of the game have spent... They must have spent like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours lovingly rendering about 300 unique death animations mm. that are very, very violent and like graphic. Mm -hmm. And it's a game that's quite hard. So it's a game where you die a lot. And Film Grit Hawk was saying that like after, after the first like hundred or so, it really became a struggle to have to like sit and watch this young queer woman get mutilated in like a variety of different and colorful ways and you know i as i said before like i play horror games like it, i absolutely am not coming at this from oh i think it'll be too gory or or whatever more that i just think that the world outside's quite horrible for queer people at the moment and one thing i don't want to do is to sink 60 hours in a game that i've paid 60 pounds for and watch a queer woman get mutilated 300 times in different ways mm, mm. My, my, my thoughts on that might change as we come out of, you know, a global pandemic and maybe I, I will be able to stomach more challenging media like that. But for now, I don't think I can do that. We're talking about different kinds of violence almost in that mm. I think that there is a separate set of problematics to the way that video games desensitise players to violence. But the way that we've been desensitised to, I don't know, a an awful man with a hook coming and getting you in a basement, which is the plot of literally every game we play together. Yeah, yeah. The way that we become desensitised to that, however scary awful hook man is, doesn't extend to the way that we process violence. Mm, or experience violence in the real world, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I think one of the outcomes of that is that this push by st studios like Naughty Dog, who, who make The Last of Us, to include more queer characters almost runs afoul of a situation where even though the because it's what it's like zombies or like adult human mushrooms or whatever like yeah yeah basically you've, you've nailed it there yeah that's cool. basically it yeah. yeah so the the adult mushroom takeover is happening in the last <laughs> of us and the mushrooms aren't killing the protagonist because they're being homophobic 
They are... I don't... Well... Let's not get into the mushrooms' motives. I think they're just like zombies. But <laughs> let's not let's not get into the mushroom discourse. Like let's that's a whole, <laughs> whole other episode. Mushrooms, we see you. We respect <laughs> you. You're valid. No, I think I think you I think you've got a point there about like the way we experience violence in video games and the way we experience violence in the real world. And I think that the experience of violence as a queer player is different for the experience of violence to a straight player. Particularly with something like The Last of Us, where the marketing aesthetically, as well as in terms of the narrative of the the message, was so bound up with the idea of representing the character of Ellie, who is um, quite a young girl in the first game, as having like grown up and she's got this very butch aesthetic. I mean, she's basically Ellen Page, right? Like she's voiced by Ellen Page. She looks like Ellen Page. Like she's basically Ellen Page. Yeah, absolutely. And these are all really cool things, but it meant that partially external to the content of the game, there was obviously a lot of homophobia from the enormous right-wing representatives of the uh, gaming community. Mm. And there's an inevitable allegorization of the traumatic story of Ellie trying to survive in a harsh world with the global escalation of violence against queer people. Mm -hmm. I looked up some articles about this and Naughty Dog had queer members of staff involved. They hired an LGBTQ plus scholar to Mm. advise them on the narrative. I'm sure there are things that could have been done better with the process, but it's also Mm. not like they weren't doing what's been advised so much as that there is a problem facing violent video games to be negotiated around how we present queer characters in violent scenarios because there's no way that it isn't to a certain extent going to escape the narrative and become an allegory. Even though I fucking hate subtext, I will give it that. (laughs) And there's no way that any AAA game with a queer protagonist isn't going to catch a huge amount of hate from the gaming Mm. community. And so the experience of that as a queer person online or a queer person in the gaming community is going to become embroiled with the treatment of the character. I don't know if I have an answer, you know. Yeah, that's it. Like, I don't, I don't, like you were saying, like, I think, I think Naughty Dog kind of like made, took the right steps to doing this right, but it Mm. still feels unresolved for me. Mm, and mm. I don't know if that's just where I am right now or like what you're saying about there's like actually a broader conversation about violence to be had I think one of the things might be to think about who the imagined player Mm. of the video Mm. game is and I think that's where my second point about why I don't want to play the game fits in quite nicely and that is that there's a trans character in the game who whose like traumatic story is, is part of the plot uh, and one of the things this trans character experiences is the enemies in the game dead naming them and mm. being transphobic to them, and that's like what the enemies do. And so, whilst like I get, I get what they're doing there, mm. I don't think that the intended or the imagined primary player of this game is necessarily a trans person. It's more a cis person being exposed to what transphobia is like, mm. and like mm. being able to draw some comparisons between like how your friend your trans friend in the game is being treated and how trans people are being treated in real life and i think that is potentially quite positive 
but it does mean that it's a very difficult experience to have to put up with if you're trying to play video games for escapism mm. as trans people often are mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and there's the legacy for these sorts of things as well bioshock infinite did it with these lurid depictions of racism which are right, clearly yeah. to show a white gamer how mm-hmm. bad racism is but like no thought was given to the fact that there might be people of color among mm-hmm. the player base in the first of the tomb raider reboots as well as these like graphic violent death animations that are being delivered to a like a 16 17 year old female character something like that yeah. um they have a couple of scenes where it is intimated that uh, if she doesn't escape, she'll be sexually assaulted by the enemies, mm. which, again, is just, like, it's not done in a way that it glorifies sexual assault. You know, I'm, I'm not worried that people are going to play this video and be like, oh, sexual assault is good. Yeah. But it is, like, really upsetting to play through. I'm not saying for one minute that I think The Last of Us is encouraging homophobia or transphobia. I just think that there's a disjoint in playing it as a cis person or a straight person and playing it as a queer person or a trans person. Absolutely. You know, if if tomorrow we were in the big orbital station from which AAA games are beamed down to Earth, (laughs) I think there are probably some, like, decent baselines we could set. If in your video game that is being distributed to a world that binary gender aside is nominally 51% female or, or, or whatever, that when you're uploading woman gets shot in face dot gif to your game for the 300th time. <laughs> yeah, you might, yeah you, you, might... you have some pause for thought, right? Yeah, you should probably <laughs> just think about why that needs to be there. Yeah, 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 exactly. Oh, Jesus yeah. Christ. So, Naughty Dog, if you're listening, uh, we're, we're, our contractors' fees are very negotiable. We'll, we'll come on board. We'll do a little Naughty Dog pronouns and bio, like, collaboration. Yeah. <laughs> God, I just tried to imagine what that might be, and it wasn't good. It was- <laughs> <laughs> It'll just be the game devs coming up to us, and they've storyboarded a scene where a trans man gets, like heroically called his proper name and pronouns by his friend and then blown up by a landmine eight different ways and they're like <laughs> nodding at us and beaming and we're like <laughs> no bad back to the crunch room Hey everyone, thanks for listening so far. After the break, we have got a very special guest coming to talk to us. And another, perhaps even more special guest, someone I think all of you will know, who can't sadly be on the show, but is going to talk to us about their recent experiences in the US presidential election. But first, (laughs) Bree's really excited. First of all, uh, we understand that a lot of you out there as queers are anti-capitalist. And we just want to say, fuck, I fucked that one. I understand a lot of you out <laughs> there as queers are anti-capitalist. Fuck. And you can resist capitalism by redistributing your wealth to us. And you can do that at ko-fi.com forward slash pronouns cast. Um, all jokes aside, it has meant the world to us to have had uh, a few donations off the back of the last episode 
honestly, we started this just as something to do together. And the fact that there are people we don't know listening to us, getting in touch. We love it when you get in touch, so please do. We're at PronounceCast on Twitter. We are PronounceCast at gmail.com. And even if you can't afford to donate, then giving us a share with anyone you think will be interested is so, so helpful. Honestly, it just warms our little gay hearts in our chest. Our little gay yeah. hearts. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm sat here grinning ear to ear and only part of that is because I keep fucking up the take on this break recording. The rest of it <laughs> is because of you, the listeners. You made this happen. Um, and it's it's kind of encouraged us as well to think about what else we might do with the podcast. So let us know what you'd like to see. We're thinking we might get on Reddit. We're thinking we might do some visualizations and put them on YouTube. If there's anything you'd like to see us feature, then please Star- do drop Star us a Star Trek episode. Star Trek, Star Trek Star episode. Tre- <laughs> <laughs> I'm hearing a Star Trek episode. <laughs> That was that was a fan. That was yeah, me. someone fan someone just like that. shouted from outside the window. It was weird. <laughs> so today for Ally of the Week, this is a very special Ally of the Week. Those of you who are online or uh, read the newspaper will know that there has been a recent election in the United States, and then more importantly, that it recently was trans. Awareness Week. I can't believe I just forgot the name of our own week. Obviously, there was a lot of content, you know, some of it positive, some of it less so, going on in the pundit sphere. We're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the fact that Joe Biden, President-elect of the United States, posted to transgender and gender non-conforming people across America and around the world, from the moment I am sworn in as president, Know that my administration will see you, listen to you, and fight for not only your safety, but also the dignity and justice you have been denied. And we just want to say, off the back of that, we were so excited. We emailed Joe Biden and <laughs> asked if he liked video games and, uh, mm. and, and found out that he does. He does. Yeah, he's actually an avid gamer. He really is. Yeah, yeah. What game was it that Joe Biden really liked playing? He told us that he really likes playing Animal Crossing New Horizons. Yeah. And uh, any Animal Crossing players out there, you can actually visit our friend Joe Biden's island from the hit game. We went over to Joe Biden's. He showed us his island. We smoked a couple of bowls um, and we (laughs) just... Just kind of chilled out a bit. And I just want to say I'm so happy that Joe can finally be himself and begin his transition and be the person that he was always meant to be. Mm. So while while perhaps it's a bit backwards on this show that our gaze of future past turned out to be an ally of the week and our ally of the week turned out to be an actual queer, it just means so much that the next president (laughs) of the United States is going to be non-binary. I hate this so much. I hate this so much. Oh god, this is my most like troubling bit that we've done do, so far. Do, do the bit. Do the bit. Uh, we came up with this in planning a week ago and I've been fucking haunted by the phrase non-binary Joe Biden <laughs> every night before going to sleep. And it's just it's it's really trying. <laughs> I understand we we don't often disagree on this show because mm. although mm-hmm. we might sound like we're recording from two separate rooms. We are actually just 
two heads on the same endless hydra. <laughs> but all, all I'm saying is I'm sensing that you are anticipating mm. the amount of flack that is going to come for non-binary people when Joe Biden becomes mm-hmm. president. And, you know, that's, that is going to make a target for non-binary people. So I can understand why people are scared. But we've got to mm-hmm. support Joe in his struggle. This is at Joe Biden on Twitter.com. <laughs> President-elect of the United States and non-binary icon. And, you know, people have said Joe Biden has to be remembered what transgender people are before breakfast. People have said Kamala (laughs) Harris has made her entire voting record on making sure that gay people stay locked up as long as possible. And to that, I just want to say... There's no prisons on Joe Biden's Animal Crossing (laughs) New Horizons Island, I can tell you that. (laughs) I don't like it. <laughs> you did this. You did this to us. Oh, but... You're gonna. You're fucking eating your meat and you're eating your vegetables and you're gonna fucking like it. That's true. That's true. I ju- and I. I just want to say to those naysayers: Do you know that you're criticizing the first trans president of the United States, <laughs> the first gamer president of the United States? So it's a double representation. Oh, that's such a curse. <laughs> Joe Biden knows what a bandicoot is. You know he does. Oh, he absolutely, he absolutely does. Yeah, does. that's one of the few things he Joe does. Joe Biden has one hundred percented crashed team for whatever the fuck it's called. <laughs> I just want to say I've logged on to Twitter.com to get Joe Biden's app and pull the tweet up for this book and this gif that someone replied to it of him with a bald eagle photoshopped in above him is just looping on my screen and it's like every time I see it part of my soul just breaks off inside me with happiness for non-binary Joe Biden we're all Ajab now we are all assigned Joe Biden assigned Joe, assigned Joe at birth fuck <laughs> you had one job I had one job assigned Joe at Biden That is the punchline. He's the ally of the week. God bless America. Oh, that one was hard. That was really fucking hard. So next on our show, we um, have a very exciting special guest to show you. Something to clear the palate of non-binary by by Joden. We've actually got a secret correspondent from within the video games mm, industry. An insider. Um, an insider, yeah. Our own deep throat, but like less horny than that. <laughs> it's crazy that it's crazy that, that was what they yeah, called why... Sorry? Yeah, why did they call him that? They just Hi Shadowy Industry Insider. Wait, 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 what what why did you say deep throat? I do not get that reference. What? Deep It's the guy from the Watergate yeah. thing, right? He's they called him Deep Throat for some reason. Because he had a like deep throaty voice. His, his nom de plume. Oh, okay. Oh, that's yeah. why. <laughs> sure, that's why. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay, definitely not because he was like sucking off like, <laughs> in the White House, right? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Errol. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a secret insider. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, so please bid a tremendous welcome to our correspondent who is either either knows the ins and outs of the video game industry or has been sucking off someone in the White House. Errol Seymour, <laughs> hi, welcome to the show. 
Hello. Hi. Hello. Thanks for having me. <laughs> you might not be saying that in 10 minutes time. <laughs> I was say that's what I said from underneath the Resolute desk. <laughs> so obviously today's episode is about queerness in video games. So could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? I am a leg butt myself and I work in the video games industry. Thank you so much. And so I guess what's made us choose you over the legions of frothing mouthed fans who have been bashing at our door begging us to let them on the podcast <laughs> is... That is not true <laughs> <laughs> we love our public it's because it's because i'm very cool it is obviously. yes yes your coolness rating was off the charts i guess we're interested in what your experience has been both as a queer person working in the video games industry and in terms of things like writing or game design or editing, where you see things going in terms of how queer content is made. Okay. I've actually forgotten what the start of the sentence you said was. I do do very long sentences. <laughs> Just like your, your experiences, both <laughs> as a queer person being in the industry and in terms of what you do and what the people around you do. Um, okay, well, I will say that the games industry is actually one of the queerest mm. industries I've worked in. Well, that's um, really encouraging. I've and I've worked in theatre before, so that says a lot. <laughs> <right>? It absolutely <laughs> does. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that was what I found most surprising because given the the way that like the video game fan base, if you will, responds to queerness mm. in games, I fully expected to be going into this industry and find that everyone around me was like mm. a foe, mm -hmm. right? But that's that's not the case at all. There are loads and loads of queer people in the games industry. And and I feel like their experiences don't really get talked we about. We have made some space for that on this podcast. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so, you so have. talk wow. away. Um, <laughs> Give us those tasty yeah. experiences. I guess I will just start talking. We need talking. that experience juice. <laughs> <laughs> experience juice. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I want a chunky sip of experience juice. And I want it now. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no that is actually really uh, encouraging to hear and, and and it is a little bit su surprising i guess i was i guess hmm. i would also put myself down as someone that was like you initially in that expecting the industry to be not super accommodating to queer folk but it's really encouraging to hear that's not the case mm. yeah no it's um the company i work for especially has this really really robust diversity group you know we sponsored our local pride mm. event and things like that and it's it's really encouraging to see the company supporting it as much as we want to be supported yeah and and in terms of the industry as uh, at large do you think that this um sense of of internal community in sort of design and production and and so on and so forth is reflected in the games um, see, that's the downside. You know, I know the current rhetoric is like, oh, there are loads of queers in video games now, but you don't actually see that reflected very mm -hmm. much. Like, um, we did like an internal survey on the number of characters in our game, mm -hmm. and we found that something like less than 1% of them are LGBT, mm -hmm. and of that less than 1%, half of them are dead. Wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's not good. It's not good. And I... I do think that's reflected across the games industry as a whole. Like, although we have this vibrant internal community that's not reflected in the games that we mm. make. That's really interesting. Do you mm. think that, like, it's an issue with 
the sort of like game industry's perception of what sells and what doesn't and that they're kind of a little bit too afraid to start affecting these kinds of positive changes just in case for whatever reason it doesn't sell absolutely i mean not so much that they're afraid it won't sell i mean we know we have queer audiences mm. but i think there's a fear that the the people on the like the other side of the spectrum you know the gamer gators the the scary kinds of people will react poorly to it and tarnish the game's it must name. be so frustrating right if there is a boom in queer people going into the games industry to work that it's got it's got to arise from you know growing up with this medium loving it and wanting to see yourself more in it and then absolutely. finding that actually that is absolutely we it. talked on the show earlier about early video gaming like experiences is there something in particular that drew you to this career I think, to be honest, I've always really enjoyed video games. The game I work for is one that I played a lot as a kid. So it's really nice to like still be on that franchise. Yeah, to be working on something that I am so passionate about is really, really good. Yeah, that, that, that's um, kind of the dream, right? To, to grow up loving something and then being able to then find a career in that yeah, too. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's wild. Like sometimes I connect with people from my primary school and I'm like, oh, you'll never guess what I'm working for. And they're like, what? And I'm like, well, and then I redact it because I can't it. <laughs> <laughs> Top nuclear scientist, Errol Seymour. We actually have a very useful experience with redacting stuff based on our last Boy Wizard episode. So don't worry, we're very familiar with having to do that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy how that happened because, you know, I, I tried to name the boy wizard several times and it but just wouldn't none happen them, none of them went yeah. through yeah just, it just wouldn't allowed. happen yeah no I'm, I'm trying to say his name right now and it's just, just, just can't not do happening it. that's incredible <laughs> <laughs> wild almost magical one might say <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the boy wizard's intellectual property lawyers have spread into this episode like <laughs> so re talked a little bit earlier about how indie developers are really outpacing AAA games in terms of queer representation. Mm. Or I guess not queer representation because, you know, you've, you've got your Mass Effect and your Dragon Ages, which have lots of queer representation, but in terms of the handling of these narratives and I guess the sophistication and nuance of them that doesn't just imagine a queer story, but imagines a queer player. Mm. That's, a that's a really great way of mm. putting it. I guess I'm interested in... If we've, we've got this problem where you've got queer people who are packing into the gaming industry and, and like a strong demographic base for it. And I guess I'm just interested in what the future of queerness in gaming mm. is. It's quite a big question, but yeah. I would say like, I mean, we've seen in the past few years, there's been a significant upward trend in queer mm. characters in video gaming, and that's great. And I think that's only mm. going to continue as more and more people feel safe to express themselves in the mm. industry. Like there's this great story from when they were making The Sims, for example. Um, I think it was The Sims 2. Mm. Um, mm. And they pretty much accidentally, somewhere down the line, coded in the ability to have a same-sex relationship with your Sim. And that got shown in a trailer because the person who came across it was not queer themselves, but thought, yeah, why shouldn't this be in the game? And even mm. though it was technically a bug, like it it got into the trailer and it made headlines and it was crazy it's like you can be gay in the sims and i think it's wild now to look back on that and think that that was such a big moment mm. because i genuinely struggle to think of a game where you do not at least have the option to 
to like write yourself in as queer if you Certainly want. Certainly they're increasingly becoming the norm. I guess when like thinking about mm. in relative time that that moment with The Sims 2 really wasn't that long ago. And so I guess we have, we have come yeah. quite a long way in quite a short space of time. It's something that even AAA developers are considering mm. now um, because they understand now that there is this there is this audience for LGBT plus relationships in their games. Mm. Mm. Um, so if there is if there is going to be a romance option, you will hear people say, "All right, well, what's the game?" I'm option? really glad that you brought up The Sims because we talked about queerness in The Sims earlier on this oh, no <laughs> episode, and now we have like the backstory for it. So that's fantastic. But it goes quite nicely onto a thing I wanted to talk about in terms of how we portray uh, queerness in video games. Mm. And we've talked a bit on the podcast already about whether what we want to portray is, is representation in the sense of people who are like us or queerness in the sense of a world without cishets or a world <laughs> where being cishet isn't even a thing. Mm. And there was... So my, my housemate is really into modding The Sims, not in the horrible homo way that we talked about trying to <laughs> see them doing woohoo or whatever it, it's okay i know i know that's what you're talking about <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i mean that's what we do but that isn't what cleo's housemate does she's too too pure for that okay do you know what woohoo is errol yeah we yeah don't. we don't actually know what woohoo is because we've never cleared those pixels do you do you know what it is um it's indescribably horrible mm-hmm. um like you know when a lovecraft protagonist sees cthulhu <laughs> And like he's just like, oh yeah, you know, I'm not even going to attempt. Yeah, that's. Oh what it's yeah, like. I mean, I suspected as such. Um, but you didn't hear that from me because um, The Sims will will come to life and hunt me down. That's a that's an inside, yeah. an inside gaming industry secret that that's actually what what we hear. Absolutely. Is. Yeah. yeah, we know that you're risking your life by sharing this. <laughs> when we talk about wanting more ace representation in video games and all queer content not being reducible to a romantic or a sexual encounter. What we mean is that you don't want to know the secret. Yeah, we of don't want to see that. We don't want to see that. And like, and like, whenever a video game sort of fades to black, you know, like in the original Fable, mm-hmm. where you just hear a bunch of people going "Ooh, hero," like in a dark room. Um, that's for the exact same reason. All, all video game sex is horrible to look at. I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> I personally would never look that's at it a myself. Solid no, no, no. But from what I've heard, mm. from what I've heard, video game sex is very bad. <laughs> Thank you for both for enlightening us as to that and also for uh, warning us away from the consequences of it. Yeah, but actually, um, um, to go back to your point about like asexual representation in video games, you don't actually mm. see a lot of that. Like I would say that is the most underrepresented yeah. sort of, is it okay to say category? I think category was. Honestly, you are going to be light years ahead of us in terms of giving things the right names on this <laughs> yeah. podcast. It is amazing. We've not yeah. been cancelled yet. I guess, I guess flavour. Flavour? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pantone? Well, like, I always get told off when I'm like, oh, what flavour of baby is it? So, <laughs> But yeah, no, I think, I think you make a really good point. Like a lot of the time when you see a queer person in a video game, it's because your character can date exactly, them, right? Yeah. It's because your character mm, can date mm. them and maybe go on to make horrible, horrible off-screen mm-hmm. sex with them. And I, I do think we need more narratives that, you know, not just explicitly asexual characters, but we need more narratives where your character interacts with a queer person and there's no sex involved and they don't die in their quest. <laughs> I, I'm looking at you, The Witcher 3. I'm looking at right, you. Right, like video <laughs> games absolutely suffer from the kill your gaze trope. Like they 
absolutely they, do they do mm. and in a way that's because video games suffer from the kill your everyone's trope it's just that there are so few gay characters to begin with it really stands yeah. out that's a good point i think it replicates existing marginalizations and existing problems within the community where like you know obviously not now under covid but pre-covid there was a real problem where so many queer spaces are coordinated around clubbing i guess but there is Mm. an air of sexuality to a lot of queer spaces that ultimately does just contribute to if not our own marginalization then certainly the stripping of our own nuance and then that's replicated in gaming where queerness is identified with a particular aspect of sexuality absolutely i think it's important that like that those spaces to express queer sexuality remain available and encouraged mm, but mm, mm. but yeah i agree that like we, d- we could do with more variety of spaces for queer people to yeah. to go to I, i'm actually saying that i do not think there should be less queer sex just saying that right now <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i think there should be less sex full stop but that's because i think oh, it's absolutely. disgusting not because i'm queer yeah. negative no all sex is a crime yeah. <laughs> thank you thank you brave words <laughs> I can see the headlines tomorrow in like Kotaku, like Video Game Insider says all sex is a crime. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My longest cancellation ever. Ten, Ten hours. hours longest cancellation ever. <laughs> that is that is what it's gonna be like. Uh, love love to get blacklisted on a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> well this sort of connects to what I wanted to say about the Sims modding in the my my housemate once discovered this mod that among other things gives Sims the ability to be homophobic. Mm. That's as like a trait. They react negatively to seeing same gender sim like romantic interactions. But also on the flip side, if you are a gay sim with this mod installed, you can persuade people out of their homophobic beliefs. And it rattled me for for ages or like perplexed me i guess because i was thinking who is this for yeah who is this for like who's downloading that (laughs) that's like i mean it is it is objectively funny to imagine sims being (laughs) (laughs) like you're making your two boyfriends kiss and another sim is just like and you're like fleesh It also sounds kind of like a little bit of wish fulfillment because in real life, like, I mean, that's what Sims is all about, right? It's about being able to do things you can't do in real life, like um, owning a house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess if it will, all it takes is one simple clickable interaction to make a homophobe not a homophobe anymore, then that is wish fulfillment. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Can, we, can we get that? Can we get that patched into <laughs> I'd like to life? download that like, to life, please. Mods, mods. <laughs> that's kind of what i was thinking like it can't be for homophobes right because it's just so easy to be homophobic both in gaming and in real life and this is quite a complicated process yeah the sims famously has a player base that is overwhelmingly female and overwhelmingly queer um Mm. and 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 also skews quite strongly towards young people and yeah it does strike Mm. me that if you are growing up young and marginalized or feeling threatened whether it's by men or by straight people or by cis people then yeah being given the opportunity to play out these quite traumatic dramas but in modes that have cathartic resolution it's like a safe way to play out these interactions without experiencing them yourself and going through the trauma of 
of having experienced it's them, right? like the video game version of like having that argument in your head in the shower mm. absolutely mm. that is exactly yeah, it you, you win the argument every time and it's like a, yeah. a sort of safe way to and unlike in real life yeah unlike in real life yeah unlike in real life after you're done arguing you can push the homophobe into a pool and take the ladder yeah away. you can put them in like um, a box of doom and like take the door away <laughs> yeah and like just just put like a little fireplace next to a rug. <laughs> this was such an unusually wholesome segment for our show. <laughs> 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 Just get them like endlessly tormented by legions of sacrifice. <laughs> I mean, that does just describe our podcast. It does. I think when I was initially exposed to the idea of a homophobia mod in The Sims, I was quite like repulsed by the idea. But this conversation has brought me around on the idea for sure. I'm glad that I've changed something Yeah, today. I'm glad that you've come out as pro-homophobia. Yeah! <laughs> Video Game Insider, pro-homophobia. You heard it here first. <laughs> Pronouns in bio, the oh, pro-homophobia <laughs> podcast for trans people and people who don't know they're trans yet. Coming up next, guest speaker Brendan O'Neill. <laughs> but it, is, it kind of answers what we were, what we were saying earlier on the show about how violence against queer characters in video games gets allegorically rendered as violence against queer people in a way that is quite repulsive. Whereas here you've almost got the opposite of that. Real world homophobia has been simulated in this environment, but in a fashion that's been tweaked to make it safe, to mm. be able to sort of re-experience it at a, at a safe distance. I do think in general that like when queer people create our own narratives in video games, we tend to ignore homophobia as much as we can. Yeah. Mm. Because um, it's part of the escapism, right? Exactly. And that's why it's so easy to bury the gaze, right? Because, you know, you see two skeletons holding hands in a cave and nobody's going to be like, yeah. ha ha. <laughs> and like, sometimes it's just very nice to like, create a character who has a wife in game and she is a wife herself and they're married and that's very cute. And like, and just not have anyone be mean to them yeah. about it. Yeah, because you, like you experience that enough in real mm. life or are exposed to those kinds of narratives so yeah and like the player character isn't going up to them like oh so i see you two are married then and you are gay you know they're just like oh i see you are a rogue and she is a a chicken collector <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> those are the two lesbian professions yeah wh which one of you is the rogue and which one of you is the chicken collector <laughs> Which one of you is skeleton on the left and which one of you is skeleton <laughs> on the right? Uh, I, to be fair, I'm getting some dangerous top energy from left skeleton. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I guess one last thing I would like to talk about is there's a big misconception that I see quite often when companies kind of create mm. gay characters um, and, and do things like pride. There's this misconception that that's coming from some kind of faceless corporate mm, entity mm. when in fact the people who have been pushing for that are the queer people within mm. the company mm. it's a very long road sometimes to get a gay character to approve sometimes to like have your corporation show up at pride it's something like we fight mm. for quite hard and i i will admit like it stings a little bit to then see people on the internet kind of being like oh well they just did this for woke points mm. like there's no way gay people could actually be working at this company and i I think if there's one thing I want people to take away from listening today, you know, apart from that sim sex is horrible and should not be witnessed, <laughs> it's that, 
Like, yes, yes, we do work in this industry. Yes, we are fighting for change. And we are doing that not because it's going to make us money. In fact, there's, like I said earlier, there's this perception that a number of our fans will not mm. like it. Um, we're doing it because we want to see ourselves represented and we know that it's the right mm. thing to do. That's uh, really important to hear because I talked a little bit earlier on about my kind of skepticisms around Overwatch and the kind of announcement that Soldier 76 was gay kind of post-release and on the one hand I think it's great to have gay characters associated with a shooter like Overwatch on the other hand absolutely Mm. kind of I'm sympathetic to the arguments that you can be a bit more cynical about that but it's actually really important to hear that to remember that it's it's queer people from within that are fighting for those changes it's not coming from some like big board being like how much money can we make today if we announce this character is gay yeah exactly yeah no thank you so much for saying that it's really touching although did you did you say that woohoo is sim sex like they're having sex. Oh under no! There. Oh, oh! I'm so sorry. Uh, you sweet son. I don't know what. To, I, don't know what to, I just feel a bit lost. Yeah, please, 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 please don't let. Um, I forgot the name of the Sims guy. Who made the Sims? Maxis. No, no, no. His name isn't Maxis. <laughs> Sid na- Meier. Don't, don't name, tell Sid Meier I said that. His name is John Maxis. <laughs> his name is Mr. Sims. His name is Mr. Maxis McSims. No, honestly, thank you so much for sharing that. Like, it's very easy for us to be cynical about the way that queerness in video games is marketized, and, and I think it's important to be aware of the way that it's kind mm. of sold to us as a demographic. I also think that there is a danger of erasing these human stories of people in an industry that yeah. can't be easy to work in, in, in right, um, like trying to trying to fight for us. Yeah, and I will say as well, like kind of on a downer note, when the higher ups do see people responding to queerness in video games that you know we've tried really hard to put in, um, and saying things like, "Oh, it's very shallow. It's it's not doing what we want it to," um, it does make them more reluctant mm. to add queer narratives in future. Like it's one thing to brush away a bad reaction from you know some guy on 4chan. It's quite another to see that bad reaction you know, in your own Discord, mm. in people tagging you in on Twitter, like, when are you going to do better? Mm. And like, where? Yeah, I guess there's like a balance to be found between kind of demanding change, but also being careful about the sort of unintended consequences of those demands in the first place. Absolutely. Mm. Mm. Because there's very much a perception that, especially maybe among like veterans of the industry, who've, mm. you know, been through all the scandals before, there's mm. a perception that they can never do good enough for mm. marginalized fans and therefore they just shouldn't try. I think there's also just a certain unsatisfiability to, and I speak very broadly here, the Leviathan that is the queer community. Not not necessarily one for which I can like readily blame anyone. Yeah. It's something I'm very guilty of. If you have an idea in your mind that is so clear about what you want representation of yourself and your people in a medium that you love to look like, it is so easy to lose sight of all all the ways in which it might not end up looking like what you look like and all of the hurdles that the people who are working towards that are working through. You know, I think think it is absolutely true that there have been, even if you're being less cynical, just some pretty enormous, like, sideshow Bob rake-stepping going on in the addition of (laughs) queer characters. Like, the... Mm. You know, we mentioned earlier... 
um, trans characters like uh... Crash Bandicoot. Yeah. <laughs> Don't introduce any more identities to the Bandicoot. Can't take it. <laughs> there was a character in a Baldur's Gate. I think actually like a fan made recast of Baldur's Gate or one that was fan led who was a trans character who talked in a sort of whimsical fashion about how the magics of this fantasy world mean that if you are born in the wrong body, you can just magically get it changed and became a target of obviously Aya from like Gamer Gators, but also from trans people who were like, this is not how I want to be represented. And you do just want to be like, somebody on this dev team took the time to be like, in this world, you can be whoever you want to be. And I, it's... Somehow I'm bad. Yeah, I understand the frustrations about being portrayed in a way that grates on you. Of course I do. But I think it's so important what you've you've said here, Errol, about how often we occlude the stories that actual queer people are working for. The the fake queer people on the screen don't satisfy us. And so we forget that there are real queer people not on a screen. I understand the frustration because everyone's... Mm everyone's queer experience is different but the answer to that is not to tear down other people's experiences it's to Mm. push for more and varied ones and to see like all kinds of ways to be queer need to be represented in video games i'm going to try and think on this really hard next time a new elder scrolls comes out and they won't let me play like a big dick leather daddy centaur and i start writing hate mail to todd howard i'm just gonna slow down and think that's that's the experience i want but is it Am I inadvertently suppressing someone else's (laughs) effort? But also, if you could pull some strings on that arrow, that would be great. I'll pull him up. So I think that's probably all we've got time for today, but I think we can all agree that if there's one thing we can take away from today, that gay people have a lot to say about video (laughs) games. Maybe too much to say. So thank you so much again to everybody who got in touch with us to share their thoughts. Thank you to uh, Votary Cannon, to Zelda Titzgerald, to Ella Vellon on Twitter, and to everybody else who got in touch, whose ads I either didn't write down or didn't get back to in time. Um, thank you so much, Errol, for coming today. It's been a real, real pleasure to have you on. No worries. Uh, thanks again for inviting anytime, me. Anytime. Anytime. Your secrets are safe with us. Um, although if you want Errol's secrets to be less safe, she is at E underscore something <laughs> on Twitter. Please do get in touch with us if you can. We are uh, at pronouncecast on Twitter. We are pronouncecast at gmail.com. We'd also like this week to shout out a cause that is very close to my heart. Uh, to our collective hearts, and that is Mermaids, who are a service who provide advice and support for young trans and non-binary people in the UK. They are at mermaids underscore gender on Twitter, uh, which is both the handle of this wonderful charity and the name of the best magical item for your D&D campaign. (laughs) Honestly, they do such great work. They have had an an enormous demand that has only increased under COVID. They're repeatedly getting slandered in the press, so you really can actively help other trans people's lives if you give to them. Obviously, if you want to give to any specific (laughs) trans people, I can remind you that our Ko-fi is ko-fi.com forward slash pronouns cast. But honestly, 
Mermaids are an incredible cause. I wish they'd been around when I was growing up as a baby queer. And they even sent me a sweet little crocheted That's mer so person. nice. So if that doesn't rep them enough, I That's don't know so what sweet. will. It's Aww. so nice, right? It's so sweet. It's not very... It really warms my heart. Crocheted mer people are They're very so cute. They're so cute, yeah. I wish I could show you a picture, but unfortunately this is the medium of audio, so you'll have to do some theatre of the mind. <laughs> In the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at ways to get in touch with our audience some more. December is the season of giving, and so we want to give ourselves to you, our audience at home. If there are particular places you'd like to see us, do you want us on Tumblr? Do you want us on Reddit? Do you want us quietly sitting in your wardrobe while you sleep? Let us know. You can do that at pronouncecast on Twitter or pronouncecast at gmail.com. We are honestly so thrilled to hear from people. It's been really wonderful getting in touch with our audience this past month. And we'd love to hear suggestions for Gays of Future Past, for Allies of the Week, for anything you'd like to see featured on the podcast. Thank you so much. We love you. You. Specifically you. Specifically you. We love you. Nobody else. Just you. Just you. Just you, Neil Richards. <laughs> what? Where did you get that from? <laughs> I don't know, but if we have a viewer called Neil Richards, he's going to shit himself. <laughs> Any Neil Richards out there, get in touch. <laughs> Hit me up. <laughs> I've been Cleo Madeline. I've been Reeve Rignall. And just your reminder to put your pronouns in your bio. Pronouns in the bio. Pronouns in bio. And cool. scene.